0: Hello, good morning. Happy Monday. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna the Arsenal podcast brought to you by the last man standing with loserpool.com. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu. And on this edition, we're going to be looking back at the draw at Burnley, not the ideal result from an Arsenal's perspective. Of course, we'd have loved to come away from turf more with all three points, but it wasn't to be. We're going to be dissecting uh, that game. We're going to be talking a little bit about uh, Mikel Arteta. Have Arsenal progressed? Under Mikel Arteta and why, if so, how much? I'm going to be getting your thoughts in the live comments as well. We're going to be talking about Alexander Lacazette. We're going to be talking about Burnley's pitch and uh, whatever else comes to mind during this next uh, 20, 25 minutes or so. So, big hello to everybody who is tuned in live at the minute. And of course, to those of you who are listening to us back uh, on the podcast version a little bit later on, don't forget to like, subscribe, review. You know the drill by now. So let's begin um, with the game itself. Of course, it ended in a disappointing nil-nil draw in the end. Um, Arsenal had their chances, but as did Burnley. Um, if we look at the two uh, starting lineups from an Arsenal perspective, it was uh, Burn Leno in goal as expected. Hector in at right back. Uh, Mustafi was in the team and that came as a little bit of a surprise because after that injury he picked up at Bournemouth, there was fears that he'd be out for quite a long time fears depended on your viewpoint on Mustafi but there was a concern that we'd be without him for a little bit of time for a quite a sustained period a significant period but he came straight back into the team alongside David Lewis. Bukayo Saka continued at left back after he's been you know in really impressive form of late. Gendouzi came into the middle of the park with, alongside Granit Xhaka and Ozil in front of them with Aubameyang and uh, Lacazette making up the rest of the um of the attacking trio of course gabriel martinelli too when i look at the team what stood out to me initially as a little bit of a surprise was of course mustafi's inclusion um you know it seems that Mikel arteta likes squadron mustafi and you can understand why in a sense and and i know people get on mustafi's back but for me he uh, is very comfortable in possession and i think that's something that Mikel arteta values he values a center-half who can play with the ball at his feet. And as far as that goes, Scott Ramastafi is certainly one of our strongest players, um, you know, from our defensive options. That's not to say he's a a world beating world class defender, but he is pretty comfortable on the ball. And obviously, like I said, Mikel Arteta values that he has played well of late. I thought he did really well against Bournemouth um, until he got injured. I thought he was very good at Chelsea after uh, he made that mistake. So, you know, he, In terms of his form, he kind of deserved to be in there. So I haven't got any issues with that. I guess my surprise came from the fact that he did pick up that knock and it did look so severe, yet he was back in the team so quickly. That was where um, I was surprised, I would say. Now, the other thing was, uh, of course, Matteo Genduzzi coming into the middle of the park alongside Granite Xhaka. Now, for me, the balance just doesn't work with those two. I've, I've said it from last season. It's not something new. It's not something that... I've just decided in the last sort of, you know, couple of weeks or so, this has been an ongoing issue for me. Um, Matteo Genduzzi gives you plenty of heart. he gives you plenty of passion, plenty of fight. But in terms of playing alongside Granit Xhaka, I just don't think that the pair work. I think the best combination that Arsenal have in the middle of the park is that of Xhaka and Torreira. So that's the preferred pairing I'd like to see now. Was Torreira carrying a knock? Was there a a reason, probably beyond what we know as fans, that uh, Lucas Torreira was left out? I don't know is the honest answer to that. There's been no indication of him having any sort of fitness troubles or concerns, yet he was left out of the team. And for the first time, I kind of looked at Mikel Arteta and I thought, are you sure about this? It it didn't really make sense to me. The other one was uh, Alexander Lacazette. Now, for me, he's been dire um, for weeks now. And I know... You don't just become a bad player overnight. And I'm not saying that, um, you know, he's going to be playing at this level forever, but he's clearly out of form. He's clearly struggling. So for me to start him um, didn't really make sense. I mean, you're playing away from home, most likely going to have joy on the counter attack. You would think, therefore, you know, I probably would have thought that a front three of a Bamiang, Martinelli and um, Pepe would have made more sense. In my opinion, anyway, that's how I felt about it. And I, Lacazette's so out of form that he, he's starting to irritate me now watching him play. You know, the link up play isn't there. Um, when he gets in the positions to, to have an attempt at goal, the, the confidence isn't there. He snatches at chances. You can see that. So for me, Alexander Lacazette shouldn't have been in the team. Um, you know, he. he it, it, for me, his goal record isn't anywhere near good enough. It's nowhere near where it should be. Um, I read somewhere that he hasn't scored an away goal for two years. That's shocking. That is shocking um, for somebody who who's a £50 million centre-forward. And, you know, there's people sitting there saying he needs a contract extension, etc., etc. Him and Aubameyang must sign. Not entirely convinced that Alexander Lacazette must sign. You know, I think that Arsenal could probably look at some, somebody else as an alternative option. That's just my view on Lacazette at the moment, but we'll come on to that in a little bit more detail a little bit later on um, in the show. Now, in terms of the overall performance, look, it, it wasn't great. At times, That it, it picked up and there was an uplift and Arsenal were moving the ball a little bit quicker, a little bit slicker. The start of the game was really good um, and the end of the game was, was pretty good as well. But in between that, Arsenal were poor. And you know what you're going to get from Burnley. You know you're going to get those long balls, that direct approach, the physical nature of them is is so clear and evident for everybody to see. And Mikel Arteta made a point about that, didn't he, in the lead up to the game that Arsenal needed to match them in that area. They needed to match them physically. They needed to match them for desire. And he was absolutely right. And I've, I've you know, whilst there's a few decisions that I look at in that team and I, I question Mikel Arteta, this is not one of those rants against him. This is not me turning on him or anything like that, because I actually do think he's the right man and I, I'm willing to give him time. But that doesn't mean you cannot question someone. That doesn't mean you cannot disagree with certain decisions. And, um, you know, when I started questioning Unai Emery's decisions, I was getting a, a hell of a lot of abuse. I'm questioning certain aspects of what he did yesterday and that's it. Um, that's all it is exactly what it says on the tin there's no hidden agenda there's no more to it and I think as fans we're absolutely entitled to do that we're entitled to ask questions about certain decisions to ask questions about certain uh you know selections that the manager makes and I think yesterday we were well within our rights to ask the question about some of those selections that's not to say that we want him sacked or that he's crap or anything like that but you know asking the question is absolutely fine. Now, in his um, post-match press conference, Mikel Arteta had a little bit of a dig at Burnley's pitch and he spoke about the length of the grass and that it was really dry and it made it difficult um, for Arsenal. (coughs) God, apologies. Um, It made it difficult for Arsenal to play their game and and rightly so. You know, it was, uh, it's something that You know, Mikel Arteta said that Burnley are right, well within their rights, sorry, to do that. They're well within their rights to leave their grass that little bit longer. They're well within their rights to leave the pitch dry. And they are to a degree. But this is, uh, and as a friend said to me when we were discussing this yesterday, this is the Premier League. It's not League One. It's not League Two. It's not an FA Cup tie between a a, a massive club club. and then a, a minnow who are trying to do everything they can to possibly level the playing field. Burnley have a responsibility to provide a good surface to play on, um, you know, in, in Premier League games. And this is not a moan that just Mikel Arteta has had. There were various reports from various journalists, from various outlets, actually, before the game yesterday, talking about the state of Burnley's pitch and that it was dry, that the grass was too long, that it was a problem. And it could uh, have an impact on the game. Now, That's not to say that's an excuse for Arsenal not winning, but Mikel Arteta was right to raise it. Um, You know, it's something that he said he expected because he came across it during his time at Manchester City. He came across, um, you know, them doing that sort of thing. He he went to Burnley on a number of occasions and Manchester City had the the same issue. And he said that he didn't even water the pitch uh, for their training sessions prior because he expected it. And he knew it was coming and he tried to make them adapt best. And he said, we didn't always adapt to it, which is a little bit of a problem. But, you know, as I say, it's something that's a little bit irritating. It's something that, in my opinion, the Premier League need to step in on. I think the Premier League need to dictate a minimum standard in regards to the playing surfaces. And, you know, you you shouldn't be allowed to do that. I think it's unfair. But you know, there is at the moment no rule that says you can't do that. And so Burnley were within their rights to to do whatever it is they wanted to their pitch. And, you know, we know for next time. And, um, you know, Mikel Arteta preempted it, but that wasn't helpful. But it wasn't the reason we didn't win. Uh, and I think Mikel Arteta was clear about that as well. You know, if you see the headlines, there's people saying, oh, Mikel Arteta um, was moaning about the pitch. He, he mentioned the pitch. He brought the pitch up. He said his piece on it. Um, but followed that on with the fact that his team didn't adapt well enough to it. And he also followed it on with the fact that, in his view, Burnley are, are allowed to do that. And they're well entitled uh, to have their pitch in whatever state they see fit. Considering Burnley never play the ball on the pitch, I can understand why they do it, because it was just long ball after long ball after long ball, wasn't it? Aerial salts galore. Um, and that's why, for me, I know I'm going off on a tangent a little bit here, but that's why, when people talk about Sean Dyche and they say he should get a bigger job, that is why he absolutely shouldn't get a bigger job because he his football is so limited and people will talk about him having limited resource at Burnley and that's why he plays that way. I don't think it is. I think that if you've been in a job for that long, um, then you should try to make progress and your football should progress And adapt and improve and it never has under Sean Dyche it's always been the same crap for me and that's why as far as I'm concerned he's not worthy of taking a big job until he shows that and I'm not saying that he should be playing Manchester City style football and taking on the world toe-to-toe and I get that in games against the so-called bigger clubs that he wants to close the gap and he wants to um you know make it a more level playing field and try and get physical and, and get in people's faces because that makes Burnley have a stronger chance of, of of competing. I'm cool with that. But then what about the games against the smaller teams? You, you know, you, you have to show some developments and progress. And Sean Dyche has never shown that. So when people talk about him getting a big job, it infuriates me because he's not shown anything, anything to suggest that he's worthy of a job like that. Um... Moving on, let's talk about the the overall progress under Mikel Arteta. And this has kind of been a little bit of a a debating point this weekend. I was a little bit quiet on Twitter yesterday because um, it was Sunday. I saw the game. I I tweeted a few things post-match. And then I I tried to take a break from from scrolling through social media. I don't want to spend all my evenings doing that. So I I took a little bit of a step back last night um, and had a little bit of a think, actually, without reading sort of the knee-jerk reactions that... We've come to associate with Twitter and I decided that there has been progress under Mikel Arteta. That is my view. I'm going to tell you why. Um, feel free to, to chip in in the comments section um, and let me know what you guys think. But the reason I do believe there is has been progress is because we are noticeably more difficult to beat. And it's as simple as that for me. Arsenal have become more resilient. Arsenal are a lot more drilled in terms of their defensive shape. And as a result, we're conceding less goals and less chances um, that's not to say that we're, uh, defending well enough completely yet. There's still room for improvement. Of course, we conceded some chances against Burnley yesterday. We also had some of our own though, and that's kind of goes, uh, unmentioned by the wider media, which I don't know why. Um, but anyway, the, the progress is there in the sense that we are now, uh, more resilient and that comes from a number of, of tweaks that Mikel Arteta has made. First of all, the defensive shape is better. Um, the left back is kind of allowed to get forward, but then that means the right back isn't in the same phase of play. And under Unai Emery, Arsenal's fullbacks were consistently bombing on and on both sides at the same time. And they were doing that under Arsene Wenger as well. What Mikel Arteta has done is he's kind of implemented this thing where the team sort of shift over into like a back three, um, or, or even a back four with one of the midfielders dropping back, and that allows the the fullback to push on. And it's seen us, um, you know, create spaces and overloads on the flanks. But it's also seen us defend a lot more effectively. Granite Xhaka has been told to sit in front of the back four and do his job, and he's done that far better. He, uh, Lucas Torreira when he plays, is is noticeably a lot more disciplined, and he uh, has contributed to that. Mateo Genduzi still room for improvement in terms of his discipline, um, but in terms of his his effort and his heart, there's no denying that's already there, and so there is something to work with there from Mikel Arteta. My issue uh, with Genduzi yesterday was that he he made a lot of loose passes, put us into some really dangerous situations unnecessarily, and that's where he needs to be a little bit more mature. Um, I, I I've I think it's a positive that he always shows for the ball, that he always wants the ball, but sometimes he drops into dangerous positions and he, he gets it off his teammates and then it's from then on where the danger begins and I don't necessarily like that. So I'd like to see him be a bit more smarter uh, in the positions that he drops into and his over-eagerness to create an angle and give an option to his his teammates can often put him in trouble and make him look bad. So I'd like to see him be a little bit more smarter in that sense. Um, but yeah, you know, look, uh, Going forward, I don't think there's been a huge improvement in Arsenal since uh, Mikel Arteta took over, but there has been an improvement defensively. And I think Mikel Arteta, when he came in, everybody expected him to come in and play this swashbuckling football um, because he was at Manchester City. Everybody expected him to come in and look to blow opponents away and, you know, play this unreal Barcelona slash Pep Guardiola-esque style of football. But what he has done is he's come in and he's looked at the team and he said, right, the first port of call here is to improve this defence. And I think he's absolutely right to have done that. Now, some people will question it. Some people will say that he's not necessarily playing to our strengths, which is on paper, at least uh, in those forward positions. But I disagree. I think that Mikel Arteta is absolutely doing the right thing by focusing on Arsenal's defensive unit first. It's been our biggest problem. It's been our biggest problem for years. Even before Unai Emery took over, um, you know, during the Arsene Wenger days, it was a constant, constant problem for Arsenal. And it's nice to see somebody coming in, recognising that and addressing it. And we're seeing the progress. Now, is it where it needs to be just yet? No, it's not. There's still a lot of room for improvement. There's still... Um, time for Mikel Arteta to get this right, and we don't expect him to turn our fortunes around straight away. Arsenal are like a massive cruise ship, you know. We're on the, we've been on the wrong course. We need to turn it around, but you're not going to turn it around straight away. It's not a car. You're not going to do it in a three point turn. It's going to be a long, slow process steering this huge ship, this huge football club, back on track. And Mikel Arteta, in my opinion, is doing a good job of improving us defensively for now. Now, down the line, he'll need to find the balance. He'll need to find the balance between making us defensively sound uh, uh, or more sound, uh, more sturdy. And a lot, taking the shackles off so that Arsenal can go and play their free-flowing attacking football that we all became used to um, over the last 10, 15 years or so. So there is a balance to be found. But that is the most difficult thing in football is finding that balance. And that doesn't happen overnight. Um, when you look at Liverpool, for example, they're a team that, that certainly didn't have the balance initially. Um, they were very top-heavy, um, you know, lots of attacking talent, but defensively, they were a shambles. They would concede three goals here, hit three goals there, and people would talk about them being brilliant under Klopp. And there was progress because you could see they'd improved in one aspect, but he still hadn't found that that balance. And now, you know, having signed a couple of players, having spent big to sign a couple of players, Jurgen Klopp has found that balance and look at Liverpool now. They're flying, they're dominating the Premier League, European champions um, and they're on course to achieve great things. So balance doesn't happen overnight. Um, It's the most difficult thing to find in football. I always maintain that. Um, And we've got to be patient with Mikel Arteta because it will come eventually. And I I do genuinely believe that. In terms of uh, Alexander Lacazette, now I spoke about him a little bit earlier in the show briefly and I want to talk about the fact that I don't feel that it's worth shoehorning him and Aubameyang into the same team anymore. And I think that it's becoming more and more evident, particularly away from home, that it doesn't really happen. Um, You know, it it doesn't work. We're not getting the best out of either player um, because, A, we're sticking Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang out on the left flank and expecting him to deliver goals. Um, He, you know, he got into a couple of positions yesterday. you know, missed the chances. Of course, he's been out for a while. Maybe that had an impact. Maybe he was a little bit rusty. But for me, the pair cannot play in the same team. And I think that Mikel Arteta has a difficult decision to make here in the sense of, you know, when he took over and when Emery took over, everyone was saying, you know, they're our best two players, Abamyang, Lacazette. But Lacazette is not showing that for me anymore. He's not showing what it is that, seems to make managers pick him time and time again what because he backs into people because he commits fouls because he closes people down that's great but as a striker there's got to be an output and there isn't an output at the moment from alexander lacazette he's not scoring anywhere near enough goals he's not producing assists i'm not entirely sure why he warrants a place in this side anymore i think he should be out um i think he's got a i think he's got a be left out for a sustained period of time and give the opportunities to other people. Because if it was somebody else, we'd be calling for him to be left out. We were talking about Pepe when he first came in, that he wasn't delivering and that he should be left out. Well, now the same is is true of of Alexander Lacazette. And I don't care how much we paid for him. I don't care about what he's done in the past. At this moment in time, he's not playing well enough. And that leads me on to another player who... Um, you know, is is dividing opinion amongst the fans, and that is Mesut Ozil. Again, included in the team. Again, didn't put in a spectacular performance, um, but his performance is being hammered somewhat unfairly by, by certain sections of the fan base. Now, was he the Mesut Ozil that we know he can be? No. Was he good enough to dictate and change the game? No, but he did complete the most forward passes of any Arsenal player in the first half, the second in the overall game, despite coming off after 62 minutes or whatever it was. um, He made the most interceptions, uh, retained the ball the most for the club in the the, uh, first half. So this this is my problem. Now, did he do enough to from an attacking sense? No, he probably didn't. Is he as great as he once was? No, he probably isn't. But people just sit there and point the finger at him and say he's the problem. He's not the problem. The problem is beyond Mesut enough. If Mesut Ozil gets the ball and the movement isn't there ahead of him, then, you know, there's not a great deal he can do. Is he the type of player that's going to pick the ball up, beat two or three men and fire one into the top bins? Absolutely not. We know that now. So why do people keep expecting it? Why do people keep expecting something from someone that they've never seen? Why do they think they're going to get it now? Is there a case that he should be left out of the team? There probably is. And I'm okay with that. I accept that. Um, I'm okay with people debating whether Mesut Ozil should be in the starting 11 moving forward or not. I've absolutely got no issues with that. I think that there's a case uh, for both sides of the argument. What I've got an issue with, though, is people coming away from games like that saying he was the reason we didn't win. Because he wasn't, he wasn't by any stretch of the imagination the reason that we didn't win, and and I think you just need to be a bit le- more level-headed when when debating this. It seems like there's, you know, there is a, a messer out camp and a messer in camp, and it's like you, nobody can be in the middle. Nobody can have a sensible debate about the matter. It's purely, I hate him or I love him, and and that drives me absolutely fucking mental. Because there is a debate to be had here, and I accept that, and I enjoy the debate but sitting there having a go at someone just unconditionally just drives me up the wall. And and it's sad to see Arsenal fans do that because I like to think that Arsenal fans are, uh, I know people give us a a bad name for the sort of negativity and the anger that certain people um, on certain platforms portray. But ultimately I think that we're quite a, a smart fan base. We're quite a clued up fan base. We know a lot about our club. We know a lot about the game and we're quite an intelligent fan base overall. Therefore, it frustrates me when I see such simplistic arguments being thrown into the arena um, for as to why Mesut Özil shouldn't play. There we go. Um, I'm going to come over to some of your comments in a moment. Leave your questions in there um, as I make my way through them. Um, as we enter the last few minutes of the stream, let's um, let's uh, go back to some of those comments. Hold on. Uh, so let's uh, see what you guys are saying around uh, Mikel Arteta because. As I said, I I, I was unsure of some of his decisions yesterday, but I don't blame him for the fact that Arsenal didn't win the game. Um, And I certainly don't want him out. And I'm certainly not calling for his head. Um, Tejas says, Arteta got it totally wrong this time. Mm. Uh, I think he made a couple of mistakes. I don't think he got it totally wrong. So I slightly disagree with you there. Uh, John Wren says, how can Arteta not beat Burnley with a team which has many big-name players? Ozil, Laca, and Ober, to name a few. Um, John, I think we've seen in the Premier League over the years that it's not as simple as that. It's not necessarily the team with the biggest names on paper that win games. I think it's it's harsh to, um, you know, point the finger at Mikel Arteta. He's come in and inherited a shit show. Um, he has improved them to a degree. Maybe not as much initially as some people would have expected, but you've got to look at where, we are, where we're coming from. And I, I pulled up this stat yesterday because I was having a debate um, w- with a friend about whether Arsenal have improved. And Under Unai Emery, in the last nine games, we lost four of them um, and we drew, I think, three of them. Under Mikel Arteta, we've only lost one of the last nine. Now, I know there's not been enough wins in there. I know there's been some frustrating draws along the way. But you've got to be honest and you've got to be realistic and you've got to say that, you know, whilst it's not ideal, it's not necessarily what we wanted in terms of the results. And we hope that we'd be able to close the gap on the top four somewhat. There is an improvement. Is it a big enough improvement? That's up for debate. And I'll I'll totally accept that. But I don't think you can argue there hasn't been one at all. Um, Dow says, I think Laka and Ozil need to be dropped. Arteta needs time and backing from the fans and the board. Um, Agreed. Um, Paritosh says, Can we give Arteta at least a proper year before we make a judgment? I think we should. Um, and I'm perfectly happy to do that and, and give him the time. It doesn't mean we can't ask questions about certain decisions, though, along the way. And I just want to be clear on that it's not being negative, it's not having an agenda, it's just asking questions. And that is as people who, who talk about the game, talk about our club, and you know, I'm a I'm a journalist these days, and my job is to write about football and write opinions about football, and that's why I share my opinions. And you know, there's nothing wrong with having them as long as they're portrayed in a in a responsible way. Uh, that's that's my opinion. Uh, what else have we got here? Um, Graham Sutherland disagrees. He says, "No judgment starts when you start the job." I I think you can make judgments as soon as someone starts the job, but. Should they be conclusive, definitive judgments so early on? I disagree. I don't think they should be um, at this point anyway. Uh, what else have we got here? Um, Sir Antonio's block says, blaming the pitch, blaming the ref, blaming anti-football. Sounds like Wenger's pathetic bleeding. The pitch was bad. The referees are bad in general in the Premier League. And Burnley do play anti-football. So, you know, that, that, that's my take on that. They do. They, you know, they, they play rugby. They hoof the ball forward and and they look to physically bully people. They're, they're two players after the game. Speaking to, I think it was Laura Woods on Sky Sports, literally as soon as the game finished, yeah, our game plan was to get in their faces. You shouldn't, you should be going out to try and play football. You should be going out to try and play the game to the best of your ability. And like I said earlier on, it's it's OK trying to level the playing field. But when your first intention is to go out there and, and get in people's faces, as they call it. And it's a term that I hate. You know, people use it in this country all the time. Oh, let's get about them. Let's show them that we're here. Let's get in their faces. What does that even mean? It's a game of football. Do you talking with the ball at your feet? But teams that are incapable of doing that and managers who are incapable of thinking, you know at that level of sophistication are all about getting in people's faces it drives me mad and it doesn't deserve praise managers who intentionally go out to rough up teams before they play football do not deserve credit they do not deserve praise and I go back to it again and again and again that is why Sean Dyche will never deserve a top job um Stan Aran says, really enjoy listening to your content, Harry. Thank you so much, mate. Thank you for tuning in as always. Um, Kieran King says, starting with the base of the team, the goals will come. Referring to my uh, earlier comments that Mikel Arteta has started trying to develop Arsenal from the back. Absolutely, Kieran, you you, you spot on. Um, John says, Arteta has Arsenal more organised. He, he does indeed. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Ozzy Guna says, under Arteta, we have a structure defensively, something we have lacked in recent seasons. Couldn't agree more, my friend. Um, talking about Mateo Genduzi, Ab- Abhishek Chowdhury says is a bit slow on the ball at times. I agree with that. Um, I Slim also says we have improved defensively. So, it seems to be, you know, uh, a common theme amongst you guys as well, not just myself, that there has been an improvement defensively. Graham says, come on, Harry, let's not lay this at the door of Genduzi. If Ozil Lacarnova put in the amount of effort that Genduzi did, we might do better. Genduzi has a stuff, uh, a ton of stuff to learn, but he's fighting for us. I agree. I'm not sitting here saying that Matteo Genduzi is a bad footballer. I just don't think he's better than Lucas Torreira at this point in time. Therefore, I couldn't understand why he was selected ahead of him. That's kind of my point. There is talent there in Mateo Genduzzi. There is heart, there is fight, there is desire to succeed. And I think over the course of time, if he's coached right, he can be a very, very good footballer. At this moment in time, though, can I sit here and say that I'd rather him in the side than a pairing of of Torreira and Xhaka? I can't. And that's kind of my point. Um, What else have we got here? Um, Arsenal Forever says Do you think he's afraid to drop players like Laka and Ozil? I don't necessarily think he's afraid. I think that Mikel Arteta is somebody who believes uh, very strongly in his ideas, who, um, you know, seems pretty confident, I would say. Um, I don't think he's afraid of dropping them. I think he's afraid of a dressing room revolt. And I think he probably would have watched what happened with Unai Emery. He would have come in and seen the state of, of things, the morale, the mentality within the dressing room, within the club and realized how important it is to actually keep some of your big hitters on site that's not to say that you should um you should bow down to their every demand or that you should uh, you know change your views because they need to be aligned with their views but what it does is it means that people that are influential in the dressing room if they're happy then it has a knock-on effect on the rest of the team. It's clear that Ozil is very influential, very well-respected amongst his teammates, as is Lacazette, as is Aubameyang, as are others. Granite, Xhaka being another one. Um, You know, we keep hearing about what a leader he is behind the scenes. That's why he was made the captain, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I don't think he's afraid of dropping them. I think he understands the consequences of pissing those players off and the knock-on effect that that has on the rest of the squad. And so if he can keep them happy, I think he will. He will try to do that. It's not to say that I don't think he's uh, got the balls to make the big calls when he needs to, but I think he values what they bring to the dressing room and the influence they have. Therefore, he's a little bit more cautious around that than probably Unai Emery was. Um, Paritos says, Harry, Mustafi and Granit were pretty good yesterday. The positives. Absolutely. They were. And again, Granit Xhaka was asked to play in another role, this time at left back after Bakayo Saka went off. So showing that he's a team player, um, looked, looked, uh, decent enough again for me. Mustafi was getting his head on, on pretty much everything. He was making some really crucial interceptions and blocks. And again, another impressive performance from him. Um, let's see what else we've got here. Um Do you think Xhaka will end up getting the captaincy again? I think he will one day, maybe, but not soon. Uh, But he honestly does seem like a leader. Yeah, he does seem like a leader. And it's become more and more evident now why he was given the captaincy in the first place. Is it, you know, has he made mistakes in an Arsenal shirt? Of course he has. Is he, is he the perfect player? No, but you can see that when Granit Xhaka is playing with confidence, that he is a leader, he is a leader of men. And, um, you know, whilst he's got room for improvement as well, as does everybody else in this Arsenal team, he he shows that quality for me, um, that leadership quality that maybe others don't. And that's why um, not only Unai Emery, but, you know, others have spoken about it and, uh, and about his leadership qualities and why people regard him as, even if he's not wearing the armband right now, as one of the team's, natural leaders um your boy liam says they should play with oba on top uh lacazette calm pepe right and Martinez left midfield and not with ozil i don't think that lacazette can play in that number 10 role i, I i've heard other people banding that about and I, I just don't see it i just don't see it i don't think he's he's got the vision i don't think he's got the passing ability i just don't think that that suits him it's just my opinion though um of course it's a fair shout um right that brings us to the end uh, of the stream we're only supposed to go for half an hour but we've run a little bit over thanks to your fantastic comments don't forget to like subscribe share um you know the draw by now and let me know your thoughts on the stuff discussed in the comment section below i'm always happy to hear from you guys and and hear your views as well uh so please please do uh subscribe like share you know the draw by now and we'll be back uh, very soon with more content we'll be bringing you something tomorrow as well so stay tuned for that don't forget this show is sponsored by loserpool.com uh where you can play the last man standing game only this time you pick the losers rather than the winners you can enter the game for around about two pounds i think it is and you can stand the chance of winning up to a thousand pounds it's a really great concept it's a really good game it's becoming more and more popular here in the uk and we're proud to say uh, that loserpool.com are our sponsors here at the Chronicles of Aguna. So do check it out, head over there, sign up, and uh, we'll be back very soon with more. Until next time, take care. Ciao.